Thank you, Sharon. Good morning. I'd like to welcome you all to morning worship at First Church in New Knoxville. We'd like to extend a special welcome to our radio listeners and any guests or visitors joining us for worship this morning. We're glad you're here with us, so thank you. Well, it's good to see everybody also survive the uh, time change on the same schedule, even though we're operating with an hour less of sleep. But the good news is we look forward to longer days and warmer weather and signs of spring, so I'm sure we're all thankful for that. Just a few announcements to take note of this morning. Uh, flowers on the altar are in honor of Sue Hoagie's 98th birthday tomorrow. So if you... So if you have a chance to talk to Sue, make sure you definitely wish her a very happy birthday. I see Sue back here this morning. So congratulations. Uh, also good news, uh, Clinton and Danielle Hirschfeld celebrating the birth of their third Grant Wallace was born on Friday, and I heard from Grandpa, nine pounds and four ounces. Is that correct? So big, big, big. Yeah. <laughs> so glad everybody's doing well in the family. So congratulations. Uh, today we're excited. We have two of our confirmation students. Again, will share their faith statements during the service with us. They've, of course, been working very hard on their faith statements and are excited to share them with the church family. And that will be Preston Deerhag and Gavin Reinecke. So we look forward to them. Wonderful Wednesdays are still in full swing, so if you haven't joined us on a Wednesday night yet, we encourage you to come for dinner, which is served at 5.45 p.m. This week, Rebecca Vodemark and Deb Schralicki will be cooking for us. You can see the weekly menu in the bulletin. So we've had a really great turnout, a uh, good hour of food, family, friends, and fellowship. So we encourage everyone to, uh, to stop out if you haven't had a chance yet. There's still time to join us. And there are many other announcements in the bulletin this week for you to take a look at, so I encourage you to do that. Uh, Now, if you'll please stand with me and read this morning's call to worship. It's taken from Psalms 103, chapters 1, or verses 1 through 12. Praise the Lord, O my soul, and all my inmost being. Praise His holy name. Praise the Lord, my soul, and forget not all His benefits, who forgave all of your sins. And heals your diseases, redeems you from life from the pit, and crowns you with love and compassion, who satisfies your desires with good things, so that you is like eagles. The Lord works righteousness and justice for all of the oppressed. He made known his ways to Moses, his deeds to the people of Israel. The Lord is compassionate and gracious, slow to anger, abounding in love. He will not always accuse, nor will he harbor his anger forever. He does not treat us as our sins deserve, or repay us according to our iniquities. For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his love for those who fear him. As far as the east is from the west, so far has he removed us transgressions from us. Now, if you remain standing and sing a familiar song, Amazing Grace, my chains are gone. The words can be found printed in the bullet. Oh, 
invite the children to come forward with Shelby Rohrball for children's chat. You may all be seated. Good morning, guys. How are you? You want to come up here, Hank, so you can see? I'm waiting for all the other kids to get up here. How are you guys this morning? Good. So, what do we have here? Eggs. Who colors eggs with either mom, dad, grandma, grandpa? Who colors eggs? Yeah, looks like you guys all do. Well, you know what? Does anybody know what a sin is? What's a sin? What does sin mean? 
When you do something God doesn't want you to do, I think that's a really great definition of sin. So sin is something that God really doesn't want us to do. However, what takes away our sin? Who takes away our sin? Who takes away our sin? God. Jesus takes away our sin. I have an egg here. And this egg, I died last night. It was overnight. It was coloring. It was a pretty blue. Well, this egg is kind of like our heart. So, in the blue, it's kind of like the sin. So, if we sin, now we don't want to sin, but we can't help it sometimes, right? Sometimes we can't control it, but we always try to do good. And sometimes those colored blues make our eggs or make our hearts a little darker and a little darker. However, God has grace that he gives us. And no matter how many sins we do, I want to let you guys know that God is always going to take away those sins because he loves you as his children. So if I take this egg, I need a harder surface. Is there a Bible or a book? (laughs) I didn't plan on that one. <laughs> yeah. All right. So I'm going to crush this egg. And we're going to take off this peeling. And what color do we have inside? White. White. God takes away all of our sins, and He's taking away all of this blue in our lives. And He gives us a clean and renewed heart. So, all right, let's go ahead and go into this Easter season knowing that God changes our hearts and he keeps us, he keeps us good. And no matter how bad we maybe act sometimes or if we say something bad, he's always going to reach out his arms and say, it's okay, I still love you. So let's go ahead and pray, okay? Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you for these kids. And we thank you for the, the, the season of Easter and the season of Lent and preparing our hearts for um, the ultimate sacrifice and the ultimate gift um, that you gave us through your son, Jesus. Lord, um, take this message um, with these kids throughout the week um, and that they, they know that through your grace, your love is still and your love is constant. Amen. Thank you, Shelby. This time, I want to invite our two of our confirmation students to come forward to share their faith statements with us this morning. We have Gavin Reinecke and Preston Deerhake. Uh, we're very excited to uh, hear what they have to share with us this morning. Um, if you were with us last week, we got to hear our first confirmation students um, share their faith statement, and uh, we're excited to hear a couple more share today. We're going to be doing this throughout the month of March, um, so if you come back next week and, and everything leading up to Confirmation Sunday, you'll get a chance to hear more of these faith statements. Um, I don't know about you, but last week was such a blessing to hear, hear these students proclaim their faith in the Lord, um, not only here in front of the church, but in front of God. And so I'm excited to continue to hear that today. Let me pray for you guys, and then I think, Gavin, you're up first, right?
Yeah. <laughs> Father, thank you so much uh, for Preston and for Gavin and their, their willingness to stand before you and proclaim their faith and, and all that they've learned, not only these last two years through confirmation, but, but through their, their lifetime and their commitment to you. I pray now that you would calm their hearts and their minds and help them to focus on, on what you have prepared in their hearts and their minds to say. And I pray, Lord, that we as a church would, would benefit and be blessed by, the, by hearing what they have to say. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. Hi, my name is Gavin Reinke, and my life verse is Colossians 3.23. Whatever you do, work heartily as for the Lord and not for men. Our God is the creator of the heavens and the earth. He has made every single one of us in his own image and in his own unique way. We are all his children. God has a plan for every one of us and knows what will happen in our future and the rest of our lives. He calls us to live a life of faith in him. He is a loving and caring father that will love us no matter the things we do. The truth that I just said affects my faith because it makes me want to be like God more and more every day. It challenges me to live better than the day that I just lived before. I love doing everything for God. I play my sports for God because I know that He is the creator of everything and I love to give everything I do back to Him. God's only Son, Jesus Christ, is the Savior that erases all sin in the world. He erases our sin not because He is mad at us. It is because He loves every one of us and wants a relationship with us. He died on the cross for us. I do not know about you, but I think that's awesome. He risked his own life for us just so we could be forgiven and be with him eternally. Jesus is our holy redeemer because he rescues us from our sins. He is here for us anytime we need someone to talk to or to even rescue us. I know that he is my savior who was sent by God to rescue us from the devil's terrors of this world. This encourages me to live a life of Christ every day, but I know that I will never live a perfect life like the one he did. I also like to do everything in the name of Jesus and God because of their great plan. I believe that the Holy Spirit is a form of God that lives inside us. The Spirit gives us the ability to love as Christ loves us. The Holy Spirit in our bodies in the Holy Spirit lives in our bodies and fills us up with God's love so we can share his word and faith to other people that do not know God or need God. The Holy Spirit shines through us onto other people and this is God working in our lives. When I go visit my grandma, who is going through a rough time right now, she always has a smile on her face when I come in. This makes me feel good because I know that she is happy. I like it when people are, I know are happy because then that makes me happy. The happiness and love in my life comes from the Holy Spirit inside me that grows and grows every day. As a young person, I plan to live out my faith by acting and not just reading God's word in faith. God wants every one of us to act and share his word every day. He wants... To use the, us to use the Holy Spirit and His Word for good and not evil. He wants us as Christians to spread and share His Word to non-believers and everyone around us. My faith in God is supposed to be shared to other people and not boxed up inside of me. I plan to live every single day of my faith to the fullest and do everything for Him. I plan to serve my church by staying involved in youth group, serving, mentoring, and teaching younger kids and myself more about Jesus Christ every day. I like learning about God and teaching younger kids that are just starting to figure out who God is to them. I want to teach the younger kids that Jesus Christ is the answer to a good and God-filled life. I want to also root, grow, and serve in my relationship with God. I want to use these three powerful words in my faith because these words are important to a strong, growing faith. These words will impact my life until it comes to an end. My name is Preston Deerhake, and my life first is... And I saw an angel coming down from heaven, having the key to the abyss and holding in his hand the great chain. 
Revelations 20:11. I believe that God is our Lord and Savior. He always has been, and he always will be. God has put his very own son on the cross to save us from our sins. That proves he cares about every one of us. I believe that God is the creator of all things on earth. There are two things I have never understood about God. Those two things are how he can see and hear everything we do. He can see and hear us because he is always there to watch over us. I also don't understand why God would put his son Jesus on the cross to save us. I have learned he put him on the cross because he loves each and everything about us and us. I believe that Jesus has walked the earth and he will walk it again. God put Jesus on the cross so that we would be saved from sin. Jesus put himself through pain and torture for all of us. He was whipped, hit with stones, and beaten for us. Even though he was put through all of that torture, he still forgave the people that hurt him. I used to not understand why Jesus was put through what he was, but I quickly learned it was for all of us. I believe that the Holy Spirit is the one that watches over us. Jesus dying on the cross makes me have a stronger faith knowing that someone would die for all of us. The Holy Spirit, in my mind, is the one that listens to our prayers. I believe that the Holy Spirit helps guide us from good and bad choices and actions in life. He is always talking to us and listening to us during prayer. I believe the Holy Spirit is God. After confirmation, I plan to have the same faith as I always have. My faith has grown more throughout confirmation because of talking and learning more about the things that Jesus has done. I will also spread the word of God to anyone that does not know of him. After confirmation, I plan to teach people Jesus' ways. I plan to stay active with the church after confirmation. I plan to help with anything the church needs if I am available. I will plan to attend church after confirmation. I plan to bring new people to church that have not heard of Jesus. Thank you both for sharing your faith with us this morning. Let me pray for you again. Father, thank you so much uh, for for Preston and for Gavin. I pray that you would uh, bless them. uh, And thank you, Lord, for for hearing what they had to say this morning. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. Lost in the last week in Iraq, Sergeant First Class, Maitland Dewari Wilson, 38, from Brooklyn, New York. And in Fort Hood, Texas, Specialist Devon Michael Wolf, 23, from Hicksville, Ohio. And Private Second Class Colton Everett Vassar, 29, from Arlington, Texas. Before we pray together, I want to read uh, this one short passage of Scripture that's been on my mind this week. It's from Lamentations chapter 3, beginning of verse 19. He says, I remember my affliction and my wandering, the bitterness and the gall. I well remember them, and my soul is downcast within me. Yet this I call to mind, and therefore I have hope. Because of the Lord's great love, we are not consumed, for his compassions never fail. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. I say to myself, the Lord is my portion, therefore I will wait for him. The Lord is good to those whose hope is in him, to the one who seeks him. It is good to wait quietly for the salvation of the Lord. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you that your mercies are new each morning. That no matter what we face in life, no matter what hardship or trouble or sorrow we are traveling through, that we can trust and hope that your mercies are new each morning, that your faithfulness 
is greater than any, any difficulty we face. That Your love is stronger, Lord, than any, any problem that we are dealing with here in this life. And Lord, I pray for all those who are going through difficult times. I pray for all those who are dealing with health issues or relationship issues or, or people who have lost, lost loved ones recently, Lord. Um, we pray, Lord, that your hope, your faithfulness, your love would be made known in their lives and that, that each one of them would be able to turn and, and set their eyes on you so that they may know and experience that hope. And I pray, Lord, for all of us that, that we would have the sense of trust and faith, Lord, to stand by you each and every morning um, through the good, the bad, and the ugly of life. Uh, we thank you, Lord, for, for your mercies. We thank you that, that, as we just heard Gavin and Preston talk about, that, that you sent your son, Jesus Christ, to die on the cross for us, Lord. That is the, the purest and, and best example of your love for us. And Lord, it is, it is because of that and it is through that that we can have this relationship with you and come to you in prayer. And, and we know that you hear us because of, of what you've done for us and your spirit here in this place this morning. We pray all these things and thank you for all, of, all that you've done and all that you are doing and all that you will do in the name of Jesus Christ. And we pray just as he taught his disciples to pray, saying, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts, as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, the power, and the glory forever. Amen. I invite those who are helping with our morning offering to come forward at this time, as the choir sings before the throne of God above.
Good morning. The scripture reading this morning is from Jonah 3. Then the word of the Lord came to Jonah a second time. Go to the great city of Nineveh and proclaim to it the message I give you. Jonah obeyed the word of the Lord and went to Nineveh. Now Nineveh was a very large city. It took three days to go through it. Jonah began by going a day's journey into the city, proclaiming, Forty more days and Nineveh will be overthrown. The Ninevites believed God. A fast was proclaimed, and all of them, from the greatest to the least, put on sackcloth. When Jonah's warning reached the king of Nineveh, he rose from his throne, took off his royal robes, covered himself with sackcloth, and sat down in the dust. This is the proclamation he issued in Nineveh. By the decree of the king and his nobles, do not let people or animals, herds or flocks, taste anything. Do not let them eat or drink, but let people and animals be covered with sackcloth. Let everyone call urgently on God. Let them give up their evil ways and their violence. Who knows? God may yet relent and with compassion turn from his fierce anger so that we will not perish. When God saw what they did and how they turned from their evil ways, he relented and did not bring on them the destruction he had threatened. Now we'll remain standing and sing hymn number 394, In My Life, Lord, Be Glorified. Father, we thank you for the opportunity to gather as your people, as one body, to worship you and to praise you this morning. I pray now as we turn our hearts and our minds to your word that you would give us um, grace, Lord, this morning to to know and understand what you have for us in this message and in this passage. I pray that you give me words to speak as we open it together. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. How many of you have ever received an unexpected gift? Something that maybe came out of out of left field. You got a hand there. You go. That's good. Good job, Aaron. There you go. Oh, there you go. Over there. Sorry. There you go. Um, 
we've all probably been there, big or small, we've we received these unexpected gifts. And, and, and gifts are one thing. They're nice to receive, but, but when it comes unexpectedly, I feel like there's just something that's even more significant, even more powerful about that. I may have shared this story with you. I know I shared it just the past week with a group that I was with on Tuesday night, uh, but I'm going to share it with you again, and, and I apologize if you've heard this before, but, but it's my story of an unexpected gift that meant a lot to me and my, my family. Uh, when we first moved to Ashland, this was uh, the fall of 2009 when I was beginning seminary, so a few years ago. Um, Allie and I had just gotten married, um, literally like weeks before we moved to Ashland, and we moved there um, so I could attend seminary. We felt like it was God calling us to go there. We felt like it was the next step in our, our journey, uh, my journey to become a pastor and our journey together as a, as a newly married couple. Uh, but the one thing was that we were taking a pretty big step of faith because we knew nobody in Ashland. Um, we had a place to live because we were going to be staying at the seminary, um, but we had no jobs lined up, no connections there whatsoever. It really was a scary time for us to kind of step out in faith and, and to make that move. Um, and to make a long story short, we ended up getting connected to a Bible study at a local church uh, even before my time at seminary began. And, and we started attending this group on a regular basis and we started forming some friendships uh, and, and, you know, we were beginning to get to know them and they were getting to know us, but we weren't like laying our whole life story on the line. You know, they knew we were just married. They knew we had just moved into town, but we weren't telling them like, hey, we have no jobs and no income and the money's running short and that whole story. Um, but God must have been doing something there because one day after our, our, stu- our Bible study, um, the host said, hey, before you go, I got something for you. And he walked out and he said, it's in my car. So he walked out with us and um, he popped the trunk of his car and he said, we know you're new here and we just thought we could bless you in this way. And the whole group kind of pitched in and he handed us a box of groceries. Um, Kind of the basics, right? Like milk and bread. I think there was even like toothpaste and stuff in there. Um, it was like all the basic stuff that we needed. And, and they, I mean, they probably had an idea of what we were going through, but they couldn't have known like we were eating hot dogs and ramen noodles for dinner at night and all of that stuff. But um, that made a, a huge impact on us. And it's something that has obviously stuck with me all these years later because it was, it was an unexpected gift. It was an unexpected, unexpected act of grace toward Allie and I, um, and it's something that, uh, that has stuck with us all these years. And the reason why it was so profound, I mean, the help was one thing, but to, to have it come unexpected and unasked for was really significant. And I share that story with you today because what we're seeing here in the book of Jonah in chapter 3 is this example of unexpected grace. And we look at it and we see, of course, we see the revival that takes place in Nineveh as a result of Jonah's preaching, and that's part of the story But it's also unexpected grace towards Jonah, first and foremost, towards this wayward prophet who had been running from the Lord. And that was what enabled him to then share his his message of grace and share this ministry in Nineveh so that they could experience God's unexpected grace as well. So as we look at this passage today, there's kind of three parts that I want us to focus on. First, as I just mentioned, Jonah's experience of this unexpected grace. Second, what he did with it. Um, in Nineveh, and then third, their response to this grace as well. So the first thing we noticed here in this passage with Jonah is that he'd been saved for a purpose. At the end of chapter 2, we see that the, the big fish who had swallowed Jonah in the sea as a way for God to rescue him um, unceremoniously vomited him up onto dry ground, 
Um, and Jonah is left there um, having time to reflect, I would imagine, on his experience. And in chapter 3 opens up at the very next verse saying, The word of the Lord came to Jonah a second time. Think of just the unexpected grace that that itself entails. God could have just left him. God could have said, you had a chance and you blew it. But God extended grace to Jonah by, by the word of the Lord coming to him a second time. We're saved for a purpose. God enables us to serve. And it's through, I believe, Jonah's experience on the ship and in the belly of the fish that prepared him for this moment and for his future ministry in Nineveh. Jonah needed to experience that grace in order to then share it with others. And God does the same in our hearts and our minds. We, we experience His grace so that we can then share it with others. Ephesians chapter 2, verses 1-10 through 10 really spell this out for us. And really, as, as, you're, as I'm reading this for you, I want you to think how this, how this reflects our experience of the Lord's salvation, just as Jonah was able to, to reflect on it in his prayer in Jonah 2 that we looked at. And really, that prayer kind of mirrors what's going on here in Ephesians chapter 2. We were dead in our sins, but made alive in Christ. And it's for a purpose. So beginning in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 1, he says, As for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins, in which you used to live. And you followed the ways of this world and the ruler of the kingdom of the air, the spirit who is now at work in those who are disobedient. All of us also lived among them at one time, gratifying the cravings of our flesh and following the desires, its desires and thoughts. Like the rest, we are by nature deserving of wrath. Those first three verses paint a pretty dark picture of our, our hope apart from Christ. We are dead in our sins, and, and like Jonah being swirled around in the sea, we had no hope. But then verse 4 says, But because of His great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ even when we were dead in transgressions. It is by grace you have been saved. And God raised us up with Christ and seated us with Him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus, in order that in the coming ages He might show the incomparable riches of His grace expressed in His kindness to us in Christ Jesus. For it is by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not from yourselves, it is a gift of God, not by works so that no one can boast. And here's verse 10, and I want this, us to, to hear this one. For we are God's handiwork, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. See, we have been saved for a purpose, not just to, to, to say a prayer and then go on with our lives, but we've experienced God's grace so that He can then use us and shape us so that we can then share that grace with others. So that He's prepared good works in advance for us to do. And we need to experience God's grace before we can go on with that mission, just as Jonah had to experience it for himself. And serving God is not just for pastors and missionaries. I know I've, I've, I've hammered this point home, and it's not a way to push responsibility off of me by any means, but it's, but it's the calling that God has placed on all of our lives. I was in the 8th grade confirmation class the other day. After, our Sunday, after my Sunday school class, I'd been joining them uh, to help them you know, walk through their faith statements and answer any questions for them. And one of the students asked the other day, um, as a pastor, are you holier than the rest of us? <laughs> and I looked at him and said, no. And actually, Glenn was right there. And he was very quick to jump in that I am a sinner just like the rest of us, right? <laughs> but it's true. 
Right? I'm a sinner in need of a Savior just like everyone else. The only difference is I have, I've been called to serve uh, in the church as a, my full-time job. And that's a unique privilege that, that I don't take for granted and hope I don't take for granted. But the reality is that, that all of us have been called to serve. All of us have been called to ministry. Not just me and Tori. Not just the elders or the deacons or the trustees. But all of us are called to serve. And we've been saved for that purpose. See, God is a God of second chances. See, our past doesn't disqualify us from serving God. Jonah is experiencing it here firsthand. His disobedience, his attempt to run from the Lord did not disqualify him from service. God comes to him a second time and asks him to go and to preach. See, if God doesn't hold our past against us in that way, then, then if, excuse me, if God did hold our past against us in that way, then none of us would be eligible, myself included. But he doesn't. He, he gives us that opportunity for a renewed relationship with him and a renewed call to service. And this is painted, a, a picture of this is painted for us in John chapter 21 in Jesus' conversation with Peter. See, Peter had denied Jesus three times the night that he was betrayed. And I would imagine that, you know, with, with Peter's location in the courtyard just outside of the trial, if you're familiar with that scene, Jesus, I'm sure, not only was he, you know, the Son of God and aware of what was going on in Peter's heart, but he probably witnessed and heard Peter's denial as he was standing in front of his accusers. So after his death and after his resurrection, he goes and he meets with Peter and, and all the other disciples. And they share this meal on the shore of the lake. And in John chapter 21, beginning at verse 15, this conversation takes place. It said, When they had finished eating, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? Yes, Lord, he said, you know that I love you. And Jesus said, feed my lambs. Again, Jesus said, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And he answered, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. And Jesus said, take care of my sheep. And the third time he said to him, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And Peter was hurt because Jesus had asked him the third time, Do you love me? He said, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. And Jesus said, Feed my sheep. Very truly, I tell you, when you were younger, you dressed yourself and went where you wanted. But when you are old, you will stretch out your hands and someone else will dress you and lead you where you do not want to go. Jesus said this to indicate the kind of death by which Peter would glorify God. And then he said to him, Follow me. Peter turned and saw the disciple whom Jesus loved was following them. This was the one who had leaned back against Jesus at the supper and said, Lord, who is going to betray you? When Peter saw him, he asked, Lord, what about him? And Jesus answered, if I want him to remain alive until I return, what is that to you? You must follow me. See, Peter had denied Jesus three times, and, and as Jesus' way of expressing and, and, and demonstrating his forgiveness towards Peter, he asked them three times, do you love me? And three times Peter said, of course, Lord, you know that I love you. It was, it was Jesus calling and drawing Peter back to himself, and so that he, Peter could then be the one who goes and, and is instrumental in the formation of the early church, instrumental in spreading God's word beyond that small group of disciples to people in Jerusalem and beyond. But I also love this interaction with Peter and, and Jesus when Peter turns around and says, what about that guy? Right? We do that all the time. We ask, what about that guy? What about him? What about her? But Jesus tells him here, and I think he's telling each one of us, don't compare yourself to others. 
Right? What is it to you what, what that other person is doing? Your job, Jesus says, is to follow me and to serve me. And there's kind of two ends of the spectrum. Sometimes we think we can't measure up to others. Look how much they're doing. Look at, all the, look at all the ways they're volunteering. Look at all the amazing things they're doing for God. I could never measure up to that, so I'm just not even going to try. And the other half of the, the other side of the spectrum is, is this mentality of, well, they're not doing what they should be doing, so I'm not going to do it either. They're not serving. They're not loving others like God calls us to love, and so I'm just not going to do it either. If they can get away with it, then so can I. But that sort of mentality is not good either. Instead, we, Jesus calls each one of us, don't worry about each other. I'm not grading on a curve. You just worry about you. You worry about serving me as I've called you to serve. And if, if, if that's your focus, if that's what you're doing, then you're on the right track. And so we're called to serve God both in and outside of the church. You don't need an official title to serve God. It comes in many different shapes and sizes. But we're all called to it. We also need to learn to pick ourselves up again and try again. I've heard the story of God being like this father watching his child outside the window learning how to ride their bike in the driveway. And that father's not upset every time the kid falls off the bike. The father's not mad at them because they fell as they were trying to learn to ride. Instead, as the child picks itself up and, and dusts itself off and gets back on the bike, God, the father, is just filled with joy to see their child getting up and trying again. Getting up and getting back on the bike. See, that's the opportunity God gave Jonah here, and it's the opportunity he gives each one of us. And so, maybe some of you need to hear that this morning. It's okay to get up, dust yourself off, and try again. Because God is, gives us that opportunity. And so we see that in Jonah. But then the second thing we see in this passage is, is that his ministry was simply powerful in Nineveh. Imagine a, a Billy Graham crusade. I know Billy Graham has obviously been in the news a lot lately. Um, I got a chance to, to watch his funeral service. They live streamed it. And it was just a great testimony to, to his life and his ministry and all that he had done to serve the Lord. But just imagine for a second, you know, rewind a few decades and, and a Billy Graham crusade is being prepared. And thousands of people show up to hear him preach. Probably hundreds of local volunteers worked hard to make it happen. And everyone is there anticipating what Billy Graham has to say. He walks out on the stage in front of thousands of people gathered, maybe millions of people watching on TV or listening on the radio. And he just says, Jesus died for your sins and then walks off the stage. Five simple words and just turns around and leaves. That's in essence what Jonah does here in Nineveh. In the Hebrew, the original language of this passage, his entire sermon, his entire ministry of Nineveh is five words. Not very much, is it? Not very significant, not very complicated. He simply preaches, in 40 days, Nineveh will be overturned. In fact, he barely walks into the city and he preaches this five-word sermon. And why? I don't know. <laughs> he probably could be just going through the motions. You know, he was willing to, to follow God's call after what he experienced through his disobedience the first time, but maybe his heart wasn't entirely into the ministry. He was just doing it so that he didn't end up in the belly of a great fish again. We'll see in the next chapter that Jonah still had some work to do in his own heart. 
But whatever Jonah's motivation, all, that is all he does. A five-word sermon and then retreats back outside of the city. Jonah's considered a prophetic book, yet these five words are all that are recorded of his prophetic ministry. Compare that with like, the book of Isaiah, which has 66 chapters and, and very little narrative mixed in there. And I think what we can learn from this, is, is we're going to see from the reaction of the Ninevites, is that it's important for us to simply preach the gospel. Preach the gospel. I was having lunch with a couple pastor, local pastors this week, and one of them was talking about, um, I think he, he said he was preaching through the book of Acts, and he was coming across this passage, and, and God really spoke to him. And I just want to share that with you because it spoke to me as well. It's Acts chapter 3. Verses 1 through 10. This is after Pentecost, after Peter's great sermon, and many people were beginning to trust in the Lord. It says, One day Peter and John were going up into the temple at the time of prayer at three in the afternoon. Now, a man who was lame from birth was being carried to the temple gate called Beautiful, where he was put every day to beg from those going into the temple courts. When he saw Peter and John about to enter, he asked them for money. Peter looked straight at him, as did John, and then Peter said, Look at us. So the man gave them his attention, expecting to get something from them. Then Peter said, Silver or gold I do not have, but what I do have I give you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, walk. And taking him by the right hand, he helped him up, and instantly the man's feet and ankles became strong. The thing I mean, noticed, the thing that this other pastor noticed, the thing that stuck out to me as we were talking about it, was that how you know, it was the simple message. The simple name of Jesus was what Peter and John shared with this person. How many times do we try to offer people silver and gold? We try to, we try to give them a substitute gospel. We try, to, we try to share something else with them when all that people really need, all that people need to hear, whether they realize it or not, is the name of Jesus. The simple gospel that Jesus died for our sins. That's what people need above and beyond everything else. That's not to say other things aren't important. But first and foremost, people need to hear the simple gospel. We try to package it sometimes in such a way that it's, that it's pleasing and acceptable to people when all we need to do is give them the name of Jesus. Paul said that his only concern is to preach Christ and Him crucified. We need to keep it simple. God works best when we get out of the way and allow Him to work. Everyone, including ourselves, needs to... Excuse me, needs to hear the simple truth of the gospel. We are sinners separated from God, yet out of his great love for us, Jesus died so that we could be forgiven and restored once again. And so it's simply just a matter of sharing what Jesus has done in your life. Sharing your testimony should not be a complicated or necessarily scary thing, although I know it can be. It's about simply sharing the changes that has taken place in your life because of Jesus. You know, we may not all have a Damascus Road experience, but we can all point to things in our lives that are different because of our experience of God's grace. And it's simply about sharing those things. Even if you are scared. Even if you don't think it's good enough. Even if you're dragging your feet a little bit, like Jonah is here in this passage. God can still use your testimony to touch other people's lives. God can work in and through your testimony, you sharing the gospel with others to touch their lives and to reach them. That's exactly what God does here with Jonah. God, Jonah's message was simple. Jonah's message was straightforward. And yet God brings about a great revival in the hearts and the minds of the people of Nineveh. 
And that's the last point here, the genuine revival that takes place. And this passage here is a model of repentance for us. In chapter 2, last week, I talked about how Jonah's prayer was a clear picture of our salvation. We are dead and helpless, but God has lifted us up and salvation ultimately belongs to him. And so the Ninevites' response here in chapter 3 gives us a model of our response then to God's grace towards us. There's three things I want us to notice here. First of all, it says simply that they believed in God. As soon as Jonah's message is delivered, it says the Ninevites believed God. Straightforward and simple. They understood the message and put their trust in it. Second, they demonstrated their repentance by, by donning sackcloth and, and fasting, common symbols of, of a repentant and, and sorrowful heart over their sin. And third, it says in the proclamation that everyone should turn from their evil ways and their violence. In other words, transformed life as a response to God's grace. And so that's a great model of what repentance is all about, what responding to God's grace means. It means that we believe God, we trust in Him. It means that we repent, we turn away from our things, our sin and our, and our sorry for what we've done. But that doesn't end there. It's a, it's a response in terms of a transformed life. Turning from our evil ways and our violence and, and allowing God's Spirit to work in us so that our lives are changed from this point forward. See, it's not enough to just say a prayer and go on our way. It's about trusting God and allowing Him to work in and through our lives and our actions. James 2 teaches us that faith without works is dead. It's not enough just to say we believe. It's not enough just to, to give God lip service, but to actually allow His Spirit to work in and through us so that our lives are transformed and look more like His each and every day. If you were to read, you know, as we read through the book of Jonah, it's interesting that there's a little bit of comedy here in this passage. It's, it's almost comical. It is comical to see the Ninevites kind of over-the-top reaction to Jonah's underwhelming ministry in the city. It even says that, that the animals are even going to fast, and even the animals are wearing sackcloth. It's like pushing it to the very extreme just to demonstrate God's overwhelming grace. That even the Ninevites, the enemies of God's people, as we talked about over the last couple of weeks, hear God's simple message of grace and respond to it. And it says here in the closing verse that, that, um, that God did relent, that he didn't bring the disaster that he, he had warned them about and instead showed them compassion and mercy. Their reaction, their response to his grace just reinforces the point to us about the closing line of Jonah's prayer in chapter 2, that salvation does indeed belong to the Lord. It certainly wasn't Jonah's doing. It was, only, it was through God and his work in their hearts and their minds. And it says that God relented. He changed his mind. That doesn't mean that God's inconsistent. In fact, his, his response to the Ninevites' response to his grace is consistent with God's character. That he does desire to show mercy. That he does desire to show grace to those who turn away from their evil ways. In Jeremiah chapter 18, verses 7-10, through 10, we see this principle spelled out for us. The Lord speaking through the prophet Jeremiah says, If at any time I announce that a nation or kingdom is to be uprooted, torn down, and destroyed, and if that nation I warned repents of its evil, then I will relent and not inflict on it the disaster I have planned. 
And if at another time I announce that a nation or kingdom is to be built up and planted, and if it does the evil in my sight and does not obey me, then I will reconsider the good I had intended for it. See, God is always willing to forgive. God is always willing to show us grace and mercy as we respond to His grace. And so in closing, I want to ask, have you responded to God's grace? Whether you're, you, you identify more with Jonah, the reluctant prophet, or, or the Ninevites who are desperately in need of God's salvation, I think we all have something to relate to. We all need to respond in one way or another. It's not enough just to hear the gospel. We must respond to His grace. So I want to think just for a moment about that five-word hypothetical sermon from that Billy Graham crusade that never happened. Jesus died for our sins. That is the gospel in a nutshell, isn't it? We're all sinners in need of a Savior. And it's not other people's sins, it's, it's our sins. Each and every one of us. You see, the, pen, the wages of sin is death. And so as a result, we're all condemned. We are all in need of salvation, in need of a Savior. And so God sent His own Son, Jesus, to die in our place. He took the punishment that we deserve so that, so that we could have that forgiveness and have eternal life in Him. That's the simple Gospel. Jesus died for our sins. And I invite you this day to respond to it. Respond to God's grace. Let's pray. Father, thank You that You have shown us grace and mercy through Your Son, Jesus Christ. It's unexpected grace because like Jonah and like the Ninevites, we don't deserve it. And we can, there's no way we can earn it for ourselves. And yet, Lord, You sent Your Son to die for us. He died on the cross and rose again from the dead so that our sins could be forgiven and we can have the promise of eternal life with You. You simply, you've done all the work. You've done everything necessary. You simply ask that we respond to Your grace. And so I pray this morning that anyone here today or anyone listening on the radio that needs to respond, Lord, that they would do so. Turning towards You and turning away from their sin. And Lord, I pray that You would transform their lives from the inside out so that they may serve You and serve this, this world that you've placed us in. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. Let's stand and in closing, let's sing Rise Up, O Church of God, number 
responded to God's grace today, um, whether you're here or you're listening on the radio, I invite you to, to talk to myself or Tori or one of our elders. We'd love to, to pray with you. Let's uh, go in peace this morning. May the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. Amen.